0: All new, crisp, cool, refreshing Cano Tambos. A complete, affordable library of tambourine loops from 50 to 154 beats per minute. Pop the top and add instant life and dynamics to any mix. Used by the top producers, engineers, and recording artists of today. Simply drag and drop. With multiple bit depths and sample rates to choose from, you'll never have to record another tambourine again. Visit canotambos.com. That's C A N O T A M B O S.com and enter promo code TURNEDUP. One word, TURNEDUP for 20% off. CANO Tambos. And I'll just start this. Are you there? Hey, hey.
1: I'm over here. I'm down here on the blue track. We we made a mistake in trying to get perfect recordings. Now, I happen to have some insider information that says that is false. And here's what happened.
0: Broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee, offering a glimpse inside the music industry, shedding light on things they don't want you to know, and exposing some of the industry's biggest secrets. You're listening to the Turned Up Podcast, presented by Real Sound Productions. Here are your hosts Jake Jones. So, my Carly Ray Jepson story is. And Robert Venable. I am. I'm just a regular genius. Good day to you. How you doing Jake? Man, I'm doing really good. Yeah. I feel good. Um, so we didn't do an episode. Well, yeah, we took last week off. Last week. Uh, we, both of us, and I, I have to say officially, even though we, we saw each other, I, I don't, I don't know that I really got an opportunity to thank you. Um, we had a memorial service for my mom. For those of you who haven't kept up, um, earlier this year, I lost my mom and and uh, I've received so much love and, and thoughts and prayers from all of you, and I can't say thank you enough. So last weekend was March sixteenth, two thousand nineteen, and uh, and so we went up to Kentucky, where my mom was born and raised in Paducah. On a playground is where she spent most of her days <laughs> <laughs> chilling out, Max, and relaxing, <laughs> all cool in Paducah. Paducah. <laughs> I can't. I can't not say it that way. Well, our good friend Justin Holman, who is in the very very first episode of of the Turned Up Podcast, um, let us in on a little secret. What sound does a turd make when it hits the water? Paducah. Paducah. Uh, I always thought it was the way it flushes. <laughs> Paducah. <laughs> no, but it was lovely. It was wonderful. And, uh, and Robert joined me. Uh, and so thank you all. And thank you, Robert, for yeah. oh, coming I to say, that. Man. But that is why we did not record an episode last week. But we're back this week. It feels so good to be back on this side of the microphone. Uh, as
1: opposed to, well, sometimes I'm on this side of the
0: microphone over here and it doesn't work. Can't, we can't hear you. Sorry, I
1: was just saying on that side of the microphone it doesn't work very well. Yeah, but this side it works just fine, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah, welcome, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be here ourselves. Do you ever see the uh, the the memes, the funny pictures where people try to mic up uh, like a guitar speaker yeah. <laughs> um, with the microphone facing the wrong direction?
1: I, I did see a famous one. Uh, was it Stevie Wonder
0: or Ray Charles? Oh, I don't know. One of the two
1: where the the microphone's
0: backwards. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) Well, we know if it was Stevie Wonder that it was just a joke because he can really see, (laughs) at least according to our music conspiracies. Right,
1: how did he he catch the falling microphone if he can't see it? You should go back and listen to that episode. That's a good one. Anyway, Uh, we have a good episode today as well. This is another fun one. This is one I'm excited
0: about. We've been excited about this one for a while, so this will be a fun one to do. It will be. Before we dive into it, I want to tell you about my amazing friend and co-host, Mr. Robert Venable. Hey, it's me. He's a Grammy-nominated, double award-winning producer, engineer, multi-instrumentalist, vocalist. If you are part of the As We Ascend label executives group, you'll know this because you can hear him singing on one of our demos for our upcoming record that we're working on. Go to asweascend.com to check that out. Anyway, um, the guy is, he's our drummer for for As We Ascend and about to be our third vocalist. He just doesn't know it. Uh, Or maybe he does. Um, no, I'm not going to be that at all. <laughs> that's what he says, but he's wrong. I'm going to unplug my microphone. That's uh, how have to sing. He's, got, he's got awards, gold records, plaques uh, for number ones that he's engineered, produced. Uh, he's an incredible mix engineer. The guy does it all. One of my favorite things about him, though, is he's actually a taste tester for the Coca-Cola company, um, trying out their new flavors, specifically uh, the ones that they decide not to use um they go ahead and have him kind of be like a final hey are are we sure we don't want to use this try this one and the
1: last line of defense for that that's true that's a true story and then my friend Jake Jones over here <laughs> Yeah, one thing that they they hired me for that position is because I'm really good at um, discerning the ratios between the carbonated water and the high fructose corn syrup, um, along with the caramel color and natural flavors, the phosphoric acid, and then, of course, caffeine, the main ingredients. Kind of sounds like you're just reading off the back
0: of a Coca Cola bottle right now. Huh? He's okay. Yep. That's, he's literally. Just okay. I'm doing. Mar-
1: I'm testing the market right now. I'm just making sure before I send in my. What final flavor thing. is that? This <laughs> this is the brand new Coca-Cola orange vanilla. And I don't drink a lot of soda or pop or Coke or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I keep hearing these commercials, and every time I'm like, all right. I'm just curious. I'm gonna taste it. So as I refro- well, of course you had to test this one. I, well, yeah. I mean, this one got through. I did not get the quality. Like check this one before it went out. <laughs> um, and I would have totally sent it back because. To be honest, my review, my quick review of my live read review of coca cola orange vanilla is it's nasty. The flavor's good. It just doesn't have the carbonation as any uh,
0: the same as any other flavor of coca cola I've ever had. I'm a weirdo. so I actually flatten out my sodas before yeah, I, I can drink them because I don't like the burn. I don't like the burps. I it's don't like
1: weird. The- I, w- I want it to fizz in my throat. I wanted to feel like the sting as I drink it. And ever since I've met you, you shake it up every time that you finish taking a swig.
0: You put the lid back on and shake it up a little bit, and kind of get those bubbles out of there. I don't even think about it now; it's become habit. But I've got this this technique of squeezing the bottle so that it has some room to give. Yep. And then I shake it till the bottle reinflates. Yeah. And then whenever I open it, all the carbonation escapes. Um. That's how I like it. But it's gross. The uh, you were telling me about some of the interesting flavors that you had to try before deciding. Okay, let's let's. Let's go ahead and put this one out into the market, or no, this one can't can't go. Right? Yes. Yeah. What sushi, were some of those
1: flavors? Sushi Coke didn't make it. Okay. Um, the uh, Nacho Coke almost made it. Nacho Coca Cola. That sounds interesting. Um, yeah, they're going for Nacho Cola, but it didn't didn't catch on. I couldn't let that happen. <laughs> it's my cola, it's Nacho Cola. It's Nacho Cola, and that was like the whole marketing ploy for that one. And then um, one of the ones that I, I really pushed for, and they kind of vetoed from me, um, was the Edamami Cola. I was really going for mm. that one. It's very salty. Um, it's good. Sounds really gross. It, it was horrible, to be honest. <laughs> I just wanted to keep my job and had to approve something. <laughs> then they vetoed it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, with the jokes over there, Jake Jones and uh, one of my best friends. I'm going to go ahead and say he's my best friend in the whole entire um, room. You <laughs> looked up at me like, <laughs> what only is other happening? person in the room right now? <laughs> Dude, no, for real. You and I have had a lot of experiences together um, and got to do a lot of things. We've even produced and recorded albums together. But without me in the room, you have produced and written and mixed and played on and sang on. And uh, let's see, played guitar on, co-wrote um, lots of Billboard charting songs. Now you're just making stuff up. I am not. I'm on your website right now. And uh, if you don't believe me, it says, whether it's producing your full next full-length album, chart-topping record, or crafting the perfect songwriting demo, Jake Jones has got the tools and expertise to make your
0: music stand head and shoulders above the rest. You know what? Fake it till you make it. That's what I always say. Man. I came up with that phrase. Did you? You should coin that because that is great. We should do an episode about it.
1: Faking it till you make it? Write that down. That's genius. Let's do it in the past. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's upload it before this one.
0: Let's do it. The, the episode
1: episode 20. All right, let's go back in time and put it as episode 20. Go now. All right. Okay. So, um, yes, Billboard, number one charting songs, uh, rock songs of the year, uh, toward the whole freaking universe um, in a spaceship. or Literally. Or tour bus. Can't remember which one it was. Uh, <laughs> with We As Human. Currently with As We Ascend as the front man, singer, guitar player, programmer, mixer, songwriter, engineer, producer. and Armpit boy. fart. Armpit farter. Yep. Um, oh, I do have an interesting credit I'm going to talk about later. Um, in the podcast, when we get to one of these, uh, interesting facts, we're going to talk about one of the songs. Okay. Um, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I wouldn't talk to you about it before we started. But, I know you're killing me. I know we'll talk about it anyway. That's Jake Jones. And one thing that we never talk about, uh, that I've been meaning to bring up is whenever you go to the grocery store, uh, and you're shopping in the produce section and you see seedless watermelon, seedless cucumbers, guess how they get seedless Jake Jones. He's the one guy in this country who makes those vegetables and fruits seedless. And tell us how you do it without even having little holes in the fruit. How do you do that?
0: Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that the unique shapes on uh, on these fruits and vegetables allow you to slice them open uh, and then glue them back together. Uh, just standard super glue is fine, especially if there's a rind. Uh, that's why they say you should always wash your fruits and vegetables because uh, Jake Jones has had his hands. I personally go through every single one of those and... Uh, something that sets me apart, I think, from a lot of people is I enjoy eating nothing but the seeds. Oh, um, I This is a selfish job for you. Bake them. I make pies. I like to sauté them. Watermelon seed pie is my favorite. Right, have you have you had my watermelon seed pie? I I can only imagine what it's like. Okay, so it's really not that difficult. You just uh, uh, for a watermelon, you cut it into little uh, half millimeter size slices. Um, the entire watermelon, and then That's you so just take tedious. some some tweezers and remove each seed one by one, and you set them aside. And then uh, with my super glue, uh, it's a special technique, patent pending, um, you just glue it all back together, and then voila, no more seeds. Wow. Wouldn't wouldn't have guessed. It's exactly, uh, is you know, that yeah. easy. Who would
1: have known? It's that that <laughs> have simple. You ever, in your career as a um, seed remover, have you ever met the person who puts the stickers on all the fruit and vegetable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, her name's Chiquita. Oh,
0: I've heard of that. Yeah. She sounds nice. She's really good at bananas. Like, does she have like calluses on her fingers? No. She wore gloves? Uh, no, but she wears a, a headdress made of fruit.
1: I've seen her picture. Yeah. I'm going to Google that. Yeah, Chiquita. Chiquita bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about something fun. She's from Havana, nah.
0: Yeah, something. Uh, we killed that one. Modern copyright law prevent us from fully
1: singing this song. Yeah, that, that's that's why we didn't sing all the words. <laughs> we not because we, we don't know them. know them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, we are going to talk about some fun things today, though. Uh, I think we're going to do a handful of recording studio facts, and not like the technical things, but like, hey, did you know this story happened in the recording studio for
0: real? A good old-fashioned "Did you know?" Um, yeah. and it's a, this is a good one. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of talk about twenty facts here uh, of, of just some fun little tidbits behind some very classic songs spanning the last sixty years uh we'll we'll hit this up uh chronologically starting with Elvis uh which I think there's no better start but um yeah askaudio.com has a great list and there are some really cool facts and Robert I will let you take fact numero uno. Okay. Fact numero
1: uno. I don't know where that accent's from. I made that up. Oh I'll, hey. I'll d-
0: <clears throat> we start this journey 1956. It's 1956. What was it like that year, Robert?
1: I don't remember much about that year. I was going through a, a dark time. That uh, was your post midlife crisis. Yeah, I was vegan that year. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I don't remember much. <laughs> uh, I remember vivid dreams of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nineteen fifty-six. To enhance the atmosphere of the song, one Elvis Presley chose to record his vocals to the song "Heartbreak Hotel" in the studio's corridor. Like- but- yeah. You, you hear this
0: kind of thing, yeah I mean that's that's a and I've heard people do that, especially in the nineteen fifties uh growing up near Clovis, New Mexico, there was uh Norman Petty Studios was there, that's where like buddy Holly, the big bopper um chubby checkers, those nineteen forties fifties uh rockabilly children, children. yeah. But <laughs> so those guys recorded. And uh, in, in that town, there is the Lyceum Theater, which is just a, a classic theater. It's very cool. Still open. They still do shows there. Uh, and so a lot of times to get a nice reverb sound, Norman Petty would move his four-track recorder and, uh, and all his equipment into the theater and set up a microphone in yeah. the back, mic up the band on stage, and then in the back he had a, a mic that was just his reverb mic. Yeah, a decay mic. Picked up the, the
1: music hall. And if you want something more reverby and sound like it's in a distance, you'd move the microphone further away from the source. So you're capturing more of that room, air, ambience in between the, the source, the instrument, the singer, and um, the listener.
0: So yeah, so I think um, Elvis recording in the corridor in 1956 to get that sound is not really that that weird although today that would be awful we would say why would you do that we'll just add reverb later throw on a hardware insert like a a
1: piece of gear that's a reverb gear or um a software plug-in which is even more common because it's right there with the click of the mouse um but yeah even when i track drums and you do the same thing i set up a couple mics further away in the room to capture more of that room sounds natural reverb it's kind of fun
0: Yeah, well, and and it does sound more natural and you can really crank up those rooms depending on the genre and and get a really cool sound. Make your drums sound huge. All right, before we move on to the next fact, uh, there is a fun fact that's not on our list. A lot of times, especially in rock music where the sound of the drums needs to be louder than the sound of the cymbals, uh, recording engineers, and you've done this, I've done this, will record all the drums without cymbals first. It's hard to do as a drummer, by the way.
1: I can't it's, even it's, imagine. It's, you have to air drum it. And sometimes I rely off the feel of like the way my drumstick feels hitting the cymbal. to like I, Muscle memory Get is one thing. Right, yeah. But yeah, like you rely off of the, the resistance of your hand hitting the cymbal to hit, use your other hand to hit the drum. So it's yeah. not like the downward swing I'm relying on. It's the reverb, the reverberation of the metal hitting the stick. Like, the way that feels, I know I should be moving my other hand or something. Uh-huh. I'm in here air drumming, like you <laughs> can see that. But uh, it, it's a feeling thing. And so when you're just swinging your hand in the air,
0: missing cymbals completely, it's really hard to do. Yeah, well, I can't imagine because I don't play drums anymore. But um, but yeah, and then and then you'll we'll go in and record the cymbals later. And what that allows is to really turn those rooms up. Uh, to get the reverberation off the snare and the kick or the toms or whatever you need yeah. and then not have all that extra room on the cymbals, all which can get hissiness. really yeah, washy.
1: Yeah,
0: um, So that's just a fun, fun little trick that is still employed today. Take us a little newer into the future, to the year 1963. 1963, uh, my good friend Robert was just having his 150th birthday around then.
1: Yeah, it was a good um, year.
0: No, this is the Beatles, this is one of my favorite Beatles songs, the song Blackbird. If you listen to the song in the background, it's that song, Blackbird singing in the dead. I don't night, know much of the, the newer music. Take these broken wings and learn <laughs> to fly. Uh, you can hear a tapping sound in the background. So there's a lot of speculation as to what that is. It's the metronome. And that's what a lot of people believe. However, uh, the Beatles have said that it is not the metronome. It's actually Paul McCartney's foot tapping in the, on the studio's wooden floors. Mm. Uh, as he's either playing the guitar part or singing or both. I've heard the band's bassist.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of recordings of um, like Adele and Alicia Keys. A couple of songs were like their piano playing as well as singing at the same time, uh, simultaneously. And you can hear sometimes you hear, do, 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 as like the tra- the trail of the the k of the piano note is like lingering, and there's no vocals to cover it up.
0: Yeah, and one of our one of our episodes, I think it was either uh, Kelly Clarkson or. Christina Aguilera song where that's you can funny. hear the metronome at the very end of the song. Yeah. I've heard that in several
1: songs. Um, and the more it's compressed, you know, for mix and then for radio, it's just slammed. You
0: just, it just brings up all those little sounds. Yeah. Um, so I just assume that's what it was. So Velvet Underground, 1967. Uh, a lot of people love this band. I'm not a huge fan of, um, of their singer's voice. Is that Nico? Yeah. Nico. Um, I, I, not the not the world's biggest fan um and after hearing this song, I really kind of understand why this is why this makes sense
1: well, she was
0: uh you
1: know take after take singing "I'll be your mirror um and the frustration just kind of got to her in the long session long hours, which you and I know about in the studio, and sometimes the the talent curve of the singer just drops like a roller coaster. We've explained that before yeah uh it just got to her, and uh the producer was pushing her and pushed her and pushed her and pushed her it brought her to tears literally. But it gave her vocal the passion that was missing, so they actually used the take right, like as she was bawling. um she went through that, and I've actually recorded albums before where the singer's broken down, and then
0: that's the take we use. There's so often that really that's needed. um There was a project you and I worked on together uh, by a band, and the singer wrote a, she wrote a song about her daughter, right? Yeah. Um, broke down, crying in the studio, sang the song. Just her voice shaky as she's got tears streaming down her face. Um, and that's just so true in any genre of music. I think, unfortunately, for a while with with digital technology being what it is and our ability to take to do a million recordings without ever running out of tape, um, kind of we we made a mistake in trying to get perfect recordings, perfect takes, perfectly right. in time, perfectly clean, everything. And really sucked the emotion out of so many recordings. And now, uh, listening to artists like Sia and Adele, and even Lord, um, these you know I'm, these are all females. Especially because they tend to um, convey more emotion sometimes when they sing, uh, we realize that the average listener is still more interested in an emotional performance over a perfect performance. And so that's sure. something as a producer that I preach to all my artists is I don't care if it sounds ugly, as long as it sounds real, yeah, if it's and honest, raw, um, you're going to make someone else feel what you're feeling. It's true. And, um,
1: that's exactly what, you know, Nico did. And that's what was captured on that song. Uh, I'll be your mirror. And that was 1967, same year. A guy from your favorite, one of your favorite
0: bands, The Beatles, and one of my favorite bands, The Beach Boys, collided. So uh, it's funny, until I listened to the song, I was looking at the song title going Vega, Vega Tables. (laughs) Words are hard. Because if you look at it, it's got a hyphen in the middle. Um, Looks like Vega Tables. Vega dash Tables. It's vegetables. Uh, and if you listen to the song, it makes perfect sense because the song is about vegetables. Uh, it's by the Beach Boys, and there are lots of vegetable sounds in the song, particularly the sound of a stalk of celery being crunched. And it was revealed later on that that was Sir Paul McCartney uh, of the Beatles who was actually chewing celery into the microphone to create that percussive <laughs> sound. So listen to that song. You'll hear it also. um, in the late 90s early 2000s a band popped up called the furry animals super furry animals
1: they're so super uh
0: and if you listen to them if you're really into that kind of 60s 60s rock and roll um these are a great band i got into some of their stuff for this episode and was like man this is this is good I mean, they do a really good job of that throwback sound um but in their t- in their song titled receptacle for the respectable it's a tongue twister do it again, um, faster. Receptacle for the respectable. Receptacle for the respectable.
1: No, that's kind of slurred.
0: <laughs> um, it is rumored that Paul McCartney is crunching celery in this track as well. Now, I listened to the track and I couldn't find it. So let us know, tweet us if you listen to it and know where that celery chewing is, because I couldn't, it, the song gets weird. It's a good song, if uh, you like that kind of music. Also, tweet us if you are Paul McCartney.
1: Hey, Paul. Uh, let's go a little, a little more recent, 1969. Um, Mary Clayton's vocals on the Rolling Stones song, Give Me Shelter. You know, Mary Clayton is not the singer for the Rolling Stones, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) who is it? Who is it? Well, she's a very beautiful woman, uh, who happened to be pregnant at the time, pregnant at the time that she, uh, (laughs) she ended up singing on this track.
0: Um, but she was called down in the middle of the night to record on Give Me Shelter. I was actually making a joke about who is the singer for the Rolling Stones?
1: Oh, I thought you were like, who is Mary Clayton? I heard the singer for the Rolling Stones has moves. Well, he has—he does have moves a lot like Jagger, kind of. I mean, not the same as like Mick Jagger or anything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she showed up um, in the recording studio in the middle of the night, they called her in, uh, literally really pregnant and literally in curlers in a nightie, uh, And she did three takes and went home. And if you listen to the isolated vocal track, which you and I have, uh, you can actually hear people in in the background going, "Whoa, yeah, Woo! Woo! yeah!" Like okay. cheering her on because she was nailing these screams. Like three takes, and she was out. Back to bed.
0: See ya. So the level of talent that is occurring uh, in that song is mind blowing. The song is "Give Me Shelter." Listen to it if you don't know what we're talking about. As soon as you hear it, if you are a fan of music at all, you'll you'll catch it right away. Um, is is it's mind blowing because they didn't have the technology we have today. If I record a vocalist uh, doing background vocals to another to another vocalist, yeah. I have software that I can use to match up their vocals so that they align properly and sound good. Uh, I also have software that I can use to tune their vocals to make sure that they're all in, they're in tune with each other because if they're not, it's going to sound really bad. These things did not exist in 1969, and if they did in very sparing amounts little tricks you could do with the tape and stuff like that and some outboard gear but very rarely and no one really wanted to put time into that it's just faster We track it and get it right she kills this track nailed it it's beautiful and you'll hear like there's moments in the song where her voice completely cracks breaks up she loses it and it just sounds it's perfect it's exactly what the song needed we'll post a link
1: to the uh to the acapella vocals to that song and you can scan through it and find that part
0: absolutely amazing yeah so this is a fun one. Led Zeppelin, legend. Uh, some of the, the the ground work layers of rock and roll as we know it today. Uh, they recorded their first record um, in sorry, they recorded their first record in 1969, or at least that's when they released it. Jimmy Page paid for the recording himself for their self titled debut album, Led Zeppelin. Uh, and it took just 36 hours of studio time. That's including setup, recording, and mixing. That's uh really wait. 36 hours. That's a quick turnaround. That's less than two whole days. The whole record. That's uh, a very little bit, and that got a lot of. That won some awards. I'm trying
1: to think of what songs were on that record.
0: So a little bit of background about Led Zeppelin. Jimmy Page was part of the Yardbirds. He was a studio musician. He knew his way around recording he knew his way uh, and not just playing guitar in a studio I mean he knew how how it all worked how to run it he was they were not just like some young punks who decided one day to record an album so the fact that it only took them 36 hours at the time whenever you had to record an album altogether live um, you know I'm sure it just kind of entailed a concert type uh, concert type playing where they just played through the songs a few times and pick the best one Mm. Um, but yes I mean back in that day you really had to know your stuff you couldn't just like oh man I'm having a hard time with this solo here let's just record it in parts (laughs) it was you either play it or you don't
1: and then they just take the best of what you
0: have yeah there was a lot of comping
1: going on it was tough to do with tape right And literally cutting literally cutting tape and then taping blade. it back together. Yeah. Yes. Uh, not fun. I've done it. It's interesting. Uh, 1971. Wait, we gotta go back to 1969. I miss John Bonham, the drummer from Led Zeppelin. Okay, bye. 1971. So rather than use Sunset Sound Studios, a very well known recording studio, the Doors actually decided to record their LA Woman album at the rehearsal room. So uh, Jim Morrison recorded his vocal takes in the bathroom because he liked the sound of the natural acoustics. And who doesn't like the way they sing when they're in the shower? Right? I mean... That's what I was thinking of. And I've actually used a lot of... um, I I haven't used them. I've received a lot of vocals from musicians when they want me to mix a song for them, who I, I guess have made the mistake of recording their vocals in a reflective room like a bathroom. And... To them, it sounds better because it's, it hides a lot of the imperfections in your voice because the reverb trail and tail just keeps like, you know, it overlaps the dry sound. So yeah. who doesn't like that? Um, but you can't do a lot with that in a mix. Um, you start compressing it and it sounds really echoey and it's really boomy and you can't EQ it just right. And it's, 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 uh, it's like trying to erase crayon if you've colored outside the lines already.
0: <laughs> You're like, well, ugh. And in 1971, uh, if you wanted a delay, it was a matter of taking the tape and doubling it over on itself and recording it going again, it going again and then again and then again. Um, And uh, to get a good reverb, you either used a plate reverb, which was essentially a little room made of a certain type of reflective material. There were plates made of different things. Um, Or a
1: spring reverb, which puts the sound through um, a vibrating spring, which is
0: essentially vibrating a piece of metal, which is... Miked up, yeah. I mean, any any guitar amps uh, that don't have digital processing on them that have reverb, it's using a spring reverb, yeah, um, like a little slinky. So yeah, so uh, getting getting those kinds of effects like reverb and delay were, I mean, it had to be done using some sort of practical method. You couldn't just say, all right, well, we'll just slap a reverb plug-in on that. Um, it was it was a, a okay. We'll use this giant Ten foot by three foot room that's been installed in the attic of the studio mm-hmm, mm-hmm. will pump sound through a speaker in it, and uh, and then we'll turn that up so we can get more reverb. It's that fascinating. like you can
1: you can see Google pictures of that and see in numerous studios plate reverb, any kind of plate reverbs, and it takes a handful of men in a moving truck to get one plate rever- reverb from one studio to another. Yeah, uh,
0: and and they're really popular right now in 2019. Uh, that plate reverb sound has has really kind of. Well, I mean, you have bands like Greta Van Fleet who are Led Zeppelin 2.0. Yeah, trying to um, harness that
1: that uh, Jim Morrison sound.
0: Yeah, that the uh, that album, and even specifically the song "L.A. Woman" is phenomenal. It sounds great, and because they didn't compress nearly as much as we do today, um, he could get away with it, and his vocals actually sound really good for what they are. Plus, in that in that time, everybody was
1: slathering reverb over everything. Like that was just the sound you wanted. Everything really. Yeah. Reverby. So
0: that worked. Well, cool. we, we weren't too far away from, uh, from discovering uh, the old gated verb oh, yeah. sound uh, of Phil Collins. Yeah, we were, we were right around the corner from that. So in 1975, uh, a band uh, that most people have never heard of uh, <laughs> was working on a song that most people will never hear. And definitely uh, not make a movie about. Um very recently. Right. Whole a uh, whole lot of nobody's nobody. Um band called Queen. Uh, uh yeah. See? Right? Never. Recorded a song called uh, I can't even remember the name of it. Um it's uh Bohemian. Bohemian
1: Rahap. Rahap Sod. Sodai.
0: Yeah, I can't pronounce that. If anybody knows how to pronounce that, tweet us. <laughs> bohemian rhapsody oh that's i've heard of that one 1975 uh fun fact contains 180 voices well, that's on the weird chorus. because
1: queen was only four people so <laughs>
0: you're wrong right so 1975 uh thanks to the beatles and that's a podcast for another day uh multi-track recording and and uh, the ability to go back and record over things many many times yeah. uh, was becoming common practice and, uh, and so in the chorus of, of that song, Bohemian Rhapsody, there are 180 voices that can be heard. Uh, they just stacked and stacked and stacked. Um, however, this process took a week's worth of 12-hour days. That's real, man. Again, like we're talking about, we didn't have the ability to
1: quickly import into Pro Tools and move things around and visually look at it so easily. So uh, they did it again. Line it up. Oh, you're slurring your S's. They're not lining up. But 180 voices, creating a wall of sound of voices, uh, which I, I think a lot of people attribute the whole wall of sound thing to uh, Quincy Jones, um, a producer who's worked on
0: everything, and we'll talk about him in a second. Whose daughter is Rashida Jones, actress on Parks and Rec, and she's on Office for a little while. And she's done some other stuff too. But. Right. Um, and she, or
1: not she, he, Quincy Jones, uh, kind of did the whole stack of, of uh, the wall of sound in order to cut through on the AM radio waves.
0: Wow. They stick out yeah i and that i didn't know yeah um so they would record it to however many tracks they had available yeah i imagine by 1975 eight um uh, maybe even 16 yeah. yeah and then bounce them down to one track yes yeah, so you take all those and funnel them to one and you do it again and you do it again although this is where this list kind of starts to lose a little bit of credibility for me 180 tracks at that point um, now, now it's not 180 tracks, 180 voices. At that point, you can't even hear them all. You're going to have phasing issues. You, there's not enough even stereo space to separate them all. And it's four dudes. So even if all four of them are singing, um, you're not going to get, at some point, it's not going to get any better. It's just going to be more of the same. Right. I mean, unless you're going for a big
1: room full of people sound like a bar singing along or I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think here. Uh, as a mixer, I don't know what you could do with all that. You might've recorded that many and they might be in there very, very quietly, but they're really not. It doesn't make a sense, like any any sense to do that.
0: I've done, so I've been in vocal sessions. Uh, fun fact, this is, this happens in Nashville fairly often. Um, and they'll need a crowd of people to sing a song. And it's a really common actually in like worship music. Um, And so there's a big Christian music distributor. Uh, They have stores, but they also publish books and music and all kinds of things called Lifeway. And so they put out these worship albums every year and that's Christian music that gets played in churches and things. Uh, And so to get a fake congregation sound so that it sounds like the person is recording it live uh, at a church in front of a congregation, they'll get a room of usually it's eight people uh, and we all have headphones and music and a couple of microphones in the up high pointed down at us uh, in the corners of the room, Yep. and we'll sing the song, and then we'll sing the song again, and then we'll move and then sing the song again. Uh, but at the most, we're doing the, the song maybe five times. Five times eight is still not 180. Uh, you're up to 40 at that point. And then they just use effects and reverb and those kinds of things to make it sound like more people. But I can't, I you still can't imagine. more than that. I can't picture,
1: and, and you know the song. You and I all, everybody knows the song. Uh, ba me I i rap so dy Keep trying. I'll get there. Um, but everybody knows it, and it doesn't sound like an arena of people singing it. I mean, it does sound like a stack of vocals, but I can promise you that the mixer did not put all 180 vo- voices up front in that mix. Right. Um, but that's a legend. And yeah, that's, that's what the website says. Yeah, we found this little article on Ask Audio, um, and... We're getting a lot of these facts from. So, 1978. Roxanne. Dun, dun, ding, ding,
0: ding. You don't have to put on the right uh, leg.
1: Yeah, so right at the very beginning of the song. We've talked about this in a previous podcast. Um, <coughs> you hear that random off-chord, off-key piano chord, um, yep. which just sounds like someone's sitting on a piano, which is exactly what happened right before the song starts. Sting. Getting ready to lay down his vocals on the song, just sat on a nearby piano, not realizing that the lid was up. So the vocal mic captured the bang right at the very beginning of the song. Sting, your butt is an amazing pianist. <laughs> I wonder if you get piano credits for that. <laughs> uh, lead vocals and piano. Um, but yeah, so we, we talked about that uh, previously in, the, in a podcast, but
0: it's still true. It's still it's, there. It's, you can still hear it in there. Sting's butt doesn't have its own all music credits. It should. It just reminds me of work on that. Uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective.
1: <laughs> Excuse me, do you have a mint? <laughs> I just watched that movie. It's I on, did too. I literally just Netflix. watched it like two days ago.
0: Yep. That's crazy. Okay, so 1982. Good this year. is one that you apparently know some things about that you haven't told me yet. So I'm excited to hear about it. Okay, what is um, it? So this one, so all of these we fact-checked. Went through, listened to kind of see, okay, what what are they talking about? Because we are not going to be fake news, bro. So this is 1982. One of my favorite records of all time uh, came out by one of the most well by a very legendary artist who recently has been uh, because of again on Netflix, "Escaping Neverland." Michael Jackson. Um, so I haven't seen it yet. Uh, don't spoil it, but apparently uh, radio stations all across the world have been banning his music from-
1: I've been watching it. Stations. Um, and I'm a huge MJ fan because, I mean, you've known my recording studio over the last 10 years has been named after a Michael Jackson record off the wall. Yeah. Um, and he, he his music is great. Who doesn't like Michael Jackson music? Thriller, Beat It, Billie Jean, all, all the greats. Um, but he's- uh, I'm not just to play devil's advocate to that because I have seen the show. I mean, I have a couple episodes. Um, he's not here to defend himself. That's
0: exactly what I was about to say. He's not here to you know, defend himself. You know, so
1: we're hearing it's, it's easy to come out and say something against someone who can't talk back.
0: Sure. Now, when he was alive, there was a lot of speculation. I remember. I mean, he definitely got a ton of negative news. And, um, I mean, he was kind of, he was pretty hated around the time he died. And then uh, now that he's dead, he became a wonderful legend and don't speak ill of the dead. And yeah. everybody just, you know,
1: I mean, but regardless
0: of what did happen behind closed doors, there were things that did
1: come out as truth. No matter what, that are still, I think, crossing boundaries. Oh, absolutely, a a grown man and children. I'm I'm not here to defend him. I actually haven't seen the. And I I don't know either way. I was not there, and I was not abused by him at all. Um. So yeah,
0: but leave it at that. For this list, 1982, his song "Beat It" came out, and in the song, Eddie Van Halen does a ripping, awesome solo. Yep. And right before the solo, you hear a sound, and the sound sounds like someone knocking on the door. So, legend has it that right before the solo takes place, someone knocked on the studio door, to uh, not realizing that the recording was in session. So you hear duh, 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 duh. Uh, and you can hear it if yeah. you if you're wearing earbuds and you listen to the song "Beat It." Uh, about two minutes and forty five seconds, you hear it on the left side. Yep. Um, however, to me, it sounds way too loud and way too prominent uh to be an accident also if you're recording guitars you're not going to hear that also uh if it was on some other track like his vocal track uh, you would just turn it down you edit that part out yeah and so
1: the 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 rumor is what that someone was knocking at a door to try to get into the studio like a delivery guy or something
0: not realizing Uh, they were recording this list says a technician can be heard knocking on the door not realizing he was interrupting Okay, so that's what this did you know fact says.
1: Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and I got a huge announcement for all of you songwriters out there. The Song Chasers commercial songwriting course is now available, and you can get it for a special deal at turneduppodcast.com slash Seth, just like my name, S-E-T-H. This is a comprehensive course in commercial songwriting for anyone who wants to be a part of writing a hit song. Again, go over to turneduppodcast.com slash Seth. Everything you need to know about commercial songwriting, turneduppodcast.com slash Seth. Now, I happen to have some insider information that says that is false. Okay. And here's what happened. Taking you back. We're in 1981, 82, and this is being recorded. Quincy Jones is the producer. They're at Westlake Audio Recording Studios in West Hollywood. Actually, Michael Jackson is working on some voiceover stuff for uh, something that had to do with the movie E.T. Extraterrestrial. Okay, so they're in another room. He says he wants Van Halen to do this, uh, this guitar, ripping guitar solo that we all hear and we know and love. And he goes, no. And like, why not? Well, okay, three conditions. Under three conditions, I will do it. Number one, I don't want to be credited for the work because I don't want my band to know that I'm playing on a Michael Jackson song because I think this is going to be stupid. Number two, I want a lot of beer. I don't want to be paid. <laughs> so since this is a favor to Michael Jackson, just pay me in beer and I'll do it. And then number three, I want Michael Jackson to teach me how to dance. All right. So he comes in the day of to listen to the track for the first time. He's there in the studio for a total of two hours with Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones says, play. Listen to this. All right. I'm going to change this up. Eddie Van Halen says he completely rearranges the song. Oh, wow. Not knowing if Michael Jackson's going to love this or hate us, hate it. Uh, Quincy's like, yeah, do your thing, man, Whatever. Um, but he, he said the solo section that he was going to play over needed to change chords. At the, at the original arrangement of it, it was just one solid chord and he had to play over that one chord. So he wanted to change parts, um, wanted to have a progression instead of just one note that he was going to solo over. So he changed it all up. Michael Jackson ended up loving it anyway, whatever. Him recording the solo took all of 20 minutes. Okay. Okay. I'm just telling a little backstory to get into this. I like it. Okay. So um, while he's playing his guitar solo, no lie, one of the studio monitors erupts in flames, just goes... Shut up. Yeah, catches
0: fire. That's amazing.
1: So they're saying, wow, that solo was so good. Man, <laughs> you just look, set the place on fire. Um, so he did that. He ended up bringing his own beer to the studio, by the way. So he <laughs> showed up with what he liked. He was in there for two hours, recorded for about 20 minutes. Michael Jackson loved it. Blah, 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 blah. Good thing. So the
0: knocking that you hear was not Eddie Van Halen on his guitar. It was not... Someone- That's what I thought it was, by the way. I was yeah. like, it sounds like someone knocking on a guitar and then that sound making its way through the pickups into the amp, into the- Like trying like to get maybe, feedback or something? Maybe trying to get, or just just a you know cool little thing because it's musical. If you hear it, it's in beat. It's a nice triple, triple it, triple it. Okay. Was not Eddie Van Halen.
1: It was not someone knocking on the door of the studio. It was Michael Jackson, while he's recording his vocals, hitting a drum case. He's knocking on a drum case. And in fact, it's proven- If you look at the credits for Beat It, it's Michael Jackson. Lead vocals, additional vocals, and drum case knocking.
0: What? Drum case beating. One of those two. Yeah. So now my question, and you may not know, did he do it like was he like oh i have a cool idea for this part right here or was he just
1: like so amped up well the way that he recorded a lot of his stuff he was very amped up all the time and i have like a whole hard drive of of his cocaine will do that to you (laughs) i have a whole hard drive of all his vocals like isolated um some are studio recordings some are people have just stripped the music out and you can hear like his chains jingling as he's in there (laughs)
0: like you know tapping his foot you hear him slapping the side of his which hip. I encourage any vocalist, by the way, if you're ever in the studio, get amped up, like feel it, get in, and, get into it. Like that's, that's one of the reasons Michael Jackson was such a prolific vocalist is right. because he really felt the music. Right. And he would,
1: he would be off mic a little bit and you'd hear him like, you know, doing like some little harmonies and mouth jive, jive stuff and like, yeah, woo, you know, that kind of stuff. And then you hear him come up to the mic and do his thing. It's like, he's in there feeling and he's dancing his music. It sounds like he's dancing to his music, which he is. Which is what he wants you as a listener to do. Anyway, he is accredited as a uh, as a drum case, um, yeah, drum case beater. Wow, it.
0: yeah. Well, it it was in beat with the song, and uh, regardless of whether it was intended to be a part of the music, whether you know Michael Jackson was like, yeah, I think I, you know this would be cool, or if he was just so excited that he yeah. just grabbed something and banged on a drum case. Uh, either way, uh, you can tell that when it went to mix, they were like, oh, this is cool, and so they turned it up. Yeah, because he's not singing right there. No, it it could definitely it doesn't need to be there. But uh, but yeah, it's very cool. Um, fast forwarding to 1986, which by the way, it is 2019, and this band is still still headlining world tours, still charting top of iTunes, still blowing people's minds, which says a lot. In Let's fact, say just- it
1: at the same time,
0: it's gonna go. It's gonna go one, two, three. Band name. Okay, okay. One, one, two, two three. three. Carly
1: Rae Jepsen. No. Oh. I mean, you, no, nineteen eighty six is. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Carly Rae
0: Jepsen wasn't alive then. Was she? No, I don't actually yeah, know. not. She but I'm gonna guess young. that she's probably not alive then. I'm yeah. gonna guess she's younger than me. Mm. I was not alive then. You're probably right. But you were. And she's Canadian, so time's yes. different up there, right? Um, yeah. No, time's way different. They yeah. they go by different different years, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Canadia. No, Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> On Metallica's Master of Puppets, uh, there is a really strange high note um, on Kirk Hammond's guitar solo, uh, of that song, and he was never able to replicate it. And the reason is because when he was in the studio recording that solo, he bent his his E string and accidentally gets it stuck on the edge of the neck, the fretboard like of the guitar. Over there. Yeah, and so it made this <laughs> kind of weird harmonic sound. <laughs> And a total mistake, but it wound up making it into the final take and he's never been able to replicate it again. I guess that's one of those things that happened in the recording studio and it's captured forever. Yeah. Uh, Studio magic, which is a a beauty and a shame because uh, you know I intentionally create studio magic with effects and all kinds of crazy things, things that no one could ever replicate live. So that's why we have things like live tracks and MacBook Pro. MacBook Pro, the best uh, instrumentalist
1: in any band. All right, so 1989, okay. I was one years old. Yeah, picture yourself as a one years older. One years older. And uh, you're in an Applebee's with someone older than you.
0: Of course, Well, most people at that point were older than me.
1: At that point, yeah. And then um, they're doing karaoke night, okay, at the Applebee's. And who doesn't hear? <laughs> Tin Roof! Rusted. Rusted! Which I always thought was the weirdest thing I've ever heard in a song. Like, It wow, sounds awkward. Someone yeah. produced that, huh. <laughs> <laughs> that um, was on purpose. <laughs> well, kind of, but not. But not at all. So Cindy Wilson of the band B-52s, and that's the song, of course, Love Shack. Got me a Chrysler as big as a whale, and it's about to set sail. <laughs>
0: ah,
1: yeah. Anyway, I can go on forever. <laughs> uh, that's like one of the two songs I will do at karaoke. The other one being Tequila. Oh, because you stand there for a minute and 15 seconds before you say anything and then you go tequila, tequila. <laughs> and then you stand there for another <laughs> um so there, that that tin roof rusted part that everybody screams in the applebee's during that part of course um <laughs> the applebee's have they ever done karaoke night that's the only place i've ever really been to karaoke really springdale arkansas oh. there is a Karaoke night on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the Applebee's. Oh, I
0: did not know. Okay.
1: Fun fact, when I was back there visiting family one time. Um, One time like last week? uh, Like no. Like
0: next week? like Well, yeah, like this week I'll be there. Everybody's dead, by the way, just a little rabbit hole was just in Kentucky for my mom's memorial. You're going for your grandmother's memorial. My condolences. By the time this aired, I'm already back, but. But yes, my grandmother
1: actually plays a key part in this Applebee's karaoke story. Oh, let's hear it. So she invited me to this karaoke. She goes, Robert, I want you to come to karaoke with me. I'm like, grandma, <laughs> why? when have you started karaoke-ing? I've, I don't even know this about you. Um, she has no, you, you, me, and grandpa, and whoever else wants to come, we're going to go to karaoke at Applebee's. She's like, you do music, right? You would love karaoke. And that's where the story <laughs> takes a twist. She told that to everybody she ever met. I love this about my grandma, that I'm a record producer. And she uh, had apparently told her server at the Applebee's one time that I was a music producer from Nashville coming into town. and Oh, my word. And he was going to be a singer. So <laughs> I really hope this guy's not listening to this podcast. I don't even know his name. Um, so <laughs> my whole family came like the wife, the kids, my brothers, oh, their my wives, like, like
0: it was a big concert that you were like, putting we on all, for everyone.
1: We all came cause we're like, well, if Robert's going to go, let's all just go eat dinner there or have desserts or whatever. Um, and we went and had this huge long table of people, my grandma, my grandpa, and we were right by the karaoke guy. <laughs> and this poor kid invited his whole family
0: because oh, this was his gosh. big break.
1: Oh, right. This is the, the next record producer, producer is here. Yeah to see him sing karaoke at applebee's this is his big this is his big break (laughs) and he was sweating and my poor wife cannot keep a poker face and the way he is aimed is face to face with my wife my wife's face aiming back at his and so he starts hitting these high notes of i've got friends in low places i don't know what i don't know what song he's singing um but i'm doing a good job keeping myself composed. I almost thought it was a hidden camera thing. You've got like your legs crossed, your arms mm -hmm. crossed. And I am biting my lip harder than I've ever bit my Mm -hmm. lip before. So I would not smile. And my wife goes, oh my, oh (laughs) Oh no. I'm like (laughs) trying to knee her under the table. And then my grandma's over there like, Arms crossed, smiling, leaning back and forth like it's the voice of an angel. (laughs) And like she just discovered the next new thing. Um, And apparently had told everybody and he told everybody. And then everybody was coming up to me. I was about to say, so you had to deliver some sort of feedback to this kid, right? So if you ever hear me say something that I'm Applebee's famous, that's where that came from. I was (laughs) talking to everybody and their uncle that night about record deals. Oh and man. I had to be so nice to these people because my grandma had to see him again. And I just like, you know what? Here's my card. Here's, the, you know, let's stay in touch type thing. Wow. Um, Poor guy, poor kid. So um, so yeah, anyway, that back to the B-52s, Applebee's love shack song, tin roof rusted part was never supposed to be a big acapella break like that. It was actually, she just, Cindy just came in at the wrong spot. And so it was supposed to be in time with the music. It was supposed to be sung, but she screwed it up. She just goes for it and and I guess that's why she sounds a little, you know, apprehensive about going r- rusted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Roof.
1: And everybody's like looking at her like crickets
0: chirping. <laughs> rusted. R- r- rusted. So fun fact, in two thousand ten, uh my band that at the time uh, we were on this little bitty tour. Uh, we were called We as Human, and we had played a little side stage at Cornerstone and got to play like the noon slot at Creation Northeast. Uh, we're on our way to- Which Clo- are really big music festivals, by the way. Clovis, New Mexico, to play the youth night there uh, on this big tour that consisted of I don't know, like four shows. And uh, and so we stopped in St. Louis uh, from Illinois, I think is where Cornerstone used to be. From Illinois to New Mexico and I was playing a big hometown show and so we stopped there to eat at the Hard Rock and it's the 4th of July so none of us having ever been to St. Louis at the time thought well let's just walk down to the arch we could see it from where we were it's kind of downtown so we start walking and there's a lot going on along the strip they've got the roads closed off there's face painters and you know artists kind of performing and doing their their street performances and so we're walking towards the arch, and if you've ever been to St. Louis, the arch uh, starts, it's it's kind of at a park along the river, mm-hmm. and it sits down. So from the street, as you're walking towards it, you can't see the park, because the park is down. Right. Uh, you just see the arch. And I haven't so, been there in a long time. So we're walking, walking, walking. Hard to believe this will be 10 years ago next year. Hmm. Uh, and we get to the edge of the park and look down, and there's 150,000 people in this park. You are a quick counter. Tons, Yeah, I counted every one of them. Uh, Tons of people. No, it actually made national headlines the next day. Uh, Tons of people everywhere. And on stage is a band, and I'm recognizing the voice, but I don't recognize the song because it wasn't their big hit uh, that I knew. Uh, And then all of a sudden, they start performing Love Shack, and it's the (laughs) B-52s. So we just parked ourselves, watched the B fifty twos, watched the fireworks show over the, the river there in oh, St. Louis. Beautiful. It was really cool. Uh, but yeah, that's my B fifty two story. Oh. Huh. I saw them live. That was good. And it was they're just as weird in real life as they sound. Yeah, you know who else is weird? The red hot chili peppers. I agree completely. And, and I think that I for They the record,
1: really struggled to keep their shirts on. And I do <laughs> and other things. Um, I do think that their drummer the, is Will Farrell. Chad Smith and Will Ferrell are twins. And they do to drum off on, I think,
0: the Tonight Show with Fallon. Yep. Uh, if, yeah. Look at Chad Smith, Will Ferrell. They look like twins and it's hilarious. It is hilarious. Google that. Which then puts the whole context of Step Brothers and the drum set.
1: <laughs> Don't touch my drums.
0: <laughs> it makes it even <laughs> more funny. He's like, you know, he wants to. So I, uh, being, having been born in 1988, was a big fan of the Red Hot Chili Peppers as they rose to fame in the 90s. As a three-year-old in 1991. As a three-year-old in 1991. No, but by 1993, as a five-year-old, I definitely knew who the Red Hot Chili Peppers were, and I was a big fan. Um, And one of my favorite songs by then, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. No, I'm just kidding. That was not one of my favorite songs by then. I (laughs) I didn't actually know that that song existed at that time. (laughs) However, that song, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, M-A-G-I-K, was actually recorded at Rick Rubin's Laurel Canyon Home, which was the former home of Harry Houdini. Yeah. Uh, The band became so sure that the house was haunted uh, that drummer Will Farrell. Will, no, Chad Smith. Smith. Yeah, I know. I I get it, Robert. They look alike, but they're not the same person. Uh, He refused to stay there while they recorded. That's interesting. Um, And, uh, you know, actually, it's funny. Now, um, homes, even big, big producers are buying homes and putting massive recording studios in them. So they were just ahead of their time recording at a house there.
1: I mean, you're sleeping at the studio anyway. Might as well have a bed down the hall. And Rick Rubin is a big deal, by the way. Never heard of him. <laughs> Chad Smith, though. Just kidding. Uh, so next year, this is 1992 at this point. R.E.M. The Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. I've always liked R.E.M. Uh, they're One of those things you can put on a road trip and just let the, let the whole thing
0: play. I, so I always, always picture their singer as a big nerd. Michael, yeah, Michael Stipe, he, he just sounds like a nerd. I think he is, um, and I think he's kind of like
1: a, an aloof nerd. Okay. <laughs> like, um. So this fact actually has something to do with that. So uh, and I mean, nerd in the most like ende- endearing way. Endearing way. Oh, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Our own of type it. of person. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh. So he's he's <laughs> so the song Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight actually sees Michael Stipe laughing as he struggled to pronounce Doctor. Well, let's say Doctor Seuss. So you know who I'm talking about. Um, but instead, he sings the word Zeus. In fact, both pronunciations are incorrect. Um, and if you've listened to stuff, you should know, um, Josh brings clarification to this, and it's actually Zeus. That's right, Doctor Zeus um, is how you pronounce his name, and it's, I think it's not even like
0: his last name, right? Or it's, it's not even it, uh, it's his middle name. You know, I just learned this. I did, I like can't, last week. I can't remember uh, because what Because my is. daughter's been been learning about Doctor Seuss. Uh, it was Dr. Seuss week, like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's
1: right. It was, it was like
0: Theodore,
1: uh, it's Theodore seuss Gazelle or Gizelle or something like that. Uh, Zoys-Guzel. Yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. Oh, that's right. I I'm, I'm like, that's that how you like say it. Geisel is how I've Geisel. always heard it. Uh, but yeah, I was like, Gazelle? that doesn't sound right either. I don't know how to say, I
1: can't say Seuss, I can't say Gizel. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you're right. And that's his middle name, right? Yep. Theodore- zoys the, uh, but spelled S-E-U-S-S. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a thing. So he couldn't do it either. Um, I don't feel bad, but he couldn't say Seuss, which is he was trying to say the whole time. So
0: he said Zeus. That's kind of funny. Yep. I don't know. So getting into the 90s, uh, this is my era. A lot of good music. I'm a millennial um, in some ways, very, very stereotypical in a lot of ways not. But love 90s music, love 90s cartoons. Same. Love the Power Rangers. You would um, millennial,
1: and this this fact that you're about to say, I think, is my favorite on the whole on the whole list. The whole
0: kitten caboodle. Mine too, because I love this song. Me too. And uh, if you don't know the song, I'm a cre. Ding 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 I'm a loser. Right,
1: good song. What am I doing here? That's the censored version. I did the censored version. It says we
0: are an all ages facility. Yes. So great song. I just hummed it. I didn't say anything naughty. No, I um, great song. So if you weren't sure which song we're talking about, that's the one. Look it up. It's a great, I mean, I think the song would do well today. Radiohead. Um,
1: and there are there are some, you know, renditions of it that have made it in the movie trailers, like creepy choirs singing it and like yeah. slowed down female version. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh,
0: so the song, uh, their guitar player hated it. <laughs> Thought this song's never going to go anywhere. And in fact, he wanted to ensure that the song would never go anywhere. And so he intentionally tried to sabotage it. His name is Johnny Greenwood. It just sounds like a rocker's name. Right? So he screwed up the guitars by quote unquote improvising. It's intentionally trying to sabotage the whole song? Yes. And <laughs> uh, to his dismay... It was loved. And and really, I mean, the most of the song is his guitar is very prominent. That's kind of the main thing happening throughout the song. And they are kind of like random guitar stabs, which are my favorite part of the whole song, by the way. Yeah, like, of course. <laughs> ironic. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. It, it's just very intentionally trying to sabotage it, but I love it. And it's, who doesn't air guitar that
0: part? Well, and that just goes even further to prove the the point that people love unique more than they love good yeah i think you're right it's so true uh and and yes the guitars because you if you hear it it's it's a clean guitar part and then before the chorus yeah there's just these random johnny showed up drunk (laughs) again (laughs) and some feedback and then it comes in it's great man but it's it also really i mean 1993 uh you know grunge movements in full swing yeah and you really have this sort of ideal mentality in music where i don't care and he didn't and it shows and to again to his dismay that that was what people wanted and that's what they loved about it and he was only what
1: 22 years old at the time because he was born in 71 so being a 22 year old just angsty in that grunge era (laughs) you know whatever Good job, Johnny Greenwood. You made an iconic (laughs) guitar part on the song that went really, really, really well on the music charts. So you did it, Uh, but you didn't at the same time. 1996, I was just starting high school for the eighth time because I'm really old. And I was in first grade, I think. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, There's a song called End Introduce- no, second grade, sorry. (laughs) Second grade, I just needed to clear that up. Oh, well, Good. Fine, make me feel old, but not as old. Um, <laughs> oh, so yeah, actually it's an album, an album called End Traducing, E-N-D, End Traducing, uh, by DJ Shadow
0: was actually the very first album to be recorded using nothing but sampled sounds. Which I had to think about that one for a minute because we've, too. we've talked about uh, kind of the advent of sampling and that sort of thing in previous episodes. A lot of hip hop. Yes, but if you listen to it, there's usually uh, you know, a live keyboard or a live guitar or a live bass, or something live. Definitely live, in live it. vocals, which this DJ, as a lot of DJs do, don't usually use live vocals. So yeah. this very well might hold water. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a short little fun fact. So we're gonna jump not ten years, but twelve years um mm-hmm. to this one. But an artist that has been legendary for far longer than that. Carly jepson oh gosh stop no carly ray jepson is not on this list anywhere i so we can just p- put that one t- i'm gonna make up a fact d- right? about oh, okay. carly ray jepson later you, well you should uh the album chinese democracy by guns and roses and uh, this is why we were able to jump 12 years and it works because the album itself was started in 1994 uh, it took 14 years to complete and cost a whopping $13 million. The label offered Axel Rose a million dollars to deliver the album on time, and he missed it by... <laughs> He's close. He's really close. He almost did it. 10 years. Yeah, that was way off. A decade. A decade. He missed it by a decade.
1: This fact would have been only two years after our last fact had he had made it in time, but no, 10 years. Plus the two makes it 12 years later. So this next fact is just kind of a fun fact. Yeah. So I looked this up, by the way, and I don't know that it's a fact. Okay. Um, The Libertine's album, Anthem for Doomed Youth in 2015, was recorded in a recording studio on top of a snake pit in Thailand. It's definitely a good, sounds cool. Now, I did fact check it and did some research and found that it was recorded at Karma Studios in Thailand. Okay. That part's true. But I can't find anything related to Karma Studios being on on or near a snake pit.
0: Yeah, but do you really want to ruin that legend?
1: I mean, is it slander or something? If we're talking bad about it, like, what would no one else want to record at the recording studio? Like, So my research on this showed that they were talking about, yeah, the band says a lot of times. We recorded at the studio. It was on a snake pit. And they kept asking, like, the locals, hey, what do we do if we get bit? I'm sure there are stations around here with like anti-venom and stuff like that. And all the locals just kept telling them, no, if you get bit, you die. And that that was like the stories this band would say, the Libertines, yeah. but I can't find anything to back this up. Right. So I don't know. Probably just, it's a cool story. Yeah. I mean, if, and if it I, may be true. I mean, maybe they just don't publish that for some reason. I'd know. be telling the same story. Yeah. Uh, Let's start now. <laughs> Let's talk about Brown recluses. Oh, oh, Hey. The next, as we ascend to
0: record, will have been recorded on a brown recluse pit. Done. Let's do that. We just, we just declared it. Not even a lie, unfortunately. Oh, is there such thing as a brown recluse pit? Yeah, If there wasn't before, there sure as heck is now. <laughs> We're making it. Um, so same year, 2015, an album was recorded in space, at least the guitar and vocals. <sighs> really? Yeah, I was hoping to be the first person to record in space. I was hoping to be, unfortunately, was a Canadian. Just like Carly Rae Jepsen? He's Canadian. Oh my gosh. I'm going to find a fact on you her. stop that. Mm. You know, actually, Canada gives us some of the best things. Uh, ketchup potato chips. Um, Jim Carrey. Alanis Morissette. And you ruined it. Poutine. So, Chris hadfield poutine yes chris it's hadfield's disgusting. songs from a tin can were recorded in space including his famous cover of david bowie's space oddity which i love that song hmm.
1: you know what song i like call me maybe oh. carly ray jepson oh. carly tweet me Ugh. Oh. i know you're canadian so whenever you get this message in the future because <laughs> they're on a different
0: calendar different time right happy new year 2020 (laughs) we're enjoying that oh man um speaking of bowie
1: david bowie okay so the track lazarus um after the first take like the very first time through the song david bowie pushed the saxophone player donnie mccaslin and his quartet to continue playing like kept saying like come on just keep going uh the result was an ad lib like a totally unrehearsed little bit of music that became the now iconic intro and the final version of the track that appeared on Blackstar. That is crazy. It's a really cool instrumental. I love that. Like the ad libbed unscripted parts of the
0: parts that make the record. Right. Um, and that are very iconic, like in that case right there. Well, and that's a, that's a good, I think that just speaks to the honesty of music and part of our human condition that we love, We love things that are real. I actually had a really great conversation yesterday with my brother. He lives out in Lake Tahoe. he's on one of our episodes, our episode uh, talking about kayfabe. Um, And and listening to some of these new trap artists that are coming out and how it's, you know, could you call it music? Could you? Like some of the stuff that exists, these artists like Lil Pump. Right. um, That are really more famous for their lives they lead rather than their music that they put out but regardless you know it's still incredibly popular millions of people like it especially kids um but we still long for something real and as music shifts over into more of a digital format uh we start seeing things like vinyl and cassettes popping back up in walmart
1: yeah it's true and everywhere barnes and noble what's that it's a bookstore what's a book it's like a printed copy of the
0: internet I don't understand. Little sections. (laughs) Someone hit print and then stapled them together. It's like if your Kindle were broken up into individual screens that were- Like a page on my Kindle? Made of wood. Except the real one? Little thin sheets of wood called pages.
1: Wow. That sounds like something on Etsy. (laughs) (laughs) We should start selling printed internet pages as books. (laughs) Like just totally
0: print the whole website (laughs) and publish it as a book. (laughs) <laughs> all the, all Don't the, steal my ideas, anybody. All the hipsters in 2025 will be like, "Yeah, I, my, I like this." is super vintage. This is my Facebook from 2019. This is my Facebook from
1: 2018. <gasps> Whoa. We start publishing Facebook pages. That's a wait. That's a, actually a genius idea. Thank you. Just came up with that. This is a tabletop, coffee table read. You could have a whole set. Here's my Facebook collection. Here's my MySpace collection. <laughs> Which I just heard that MySpace inadvertently deleted. Um, like a decade's worth of multimedia, like songs and videos and pictures that people had uploaded over the years, like their band songs. Like I was in a band and we put music
0: on MySpace. Sometimes that's the only place we would put it. Me too. I am I exist on this podcast in Nashville, Tennessee today as a result of MySpace. Yeah. And they deleted a
1: lot of it and it took months for people to find out. Oh. Like they, just, they never paid attention. They're like, remember MySpace? Wait, where's all my stuff?
0: Probably once a year, I go back in and try to remember my login for MySpace. Well, Timberlake tried to play a big role in
1: reviving MySpace. And I was jumping on board with it. I'm like, let's do it. Come on, JT. Tweet me. We uh, we I pushed it. I'm like, come on, friends. Let's get back on MySpace and revamped my profile and all this stuff. Now I don't even know how to log in. <laughs> and it's funny because when you're signing up for it again or like re-logging in, it says, do you want to sign in with Facebook? that's right sure I do (laughs) whatever hey did you know that Carly Rae Jepsen is 33
0: oh wow she shares a birthday November 21st with Justin Bieber do you know what that means if she's 33 that she was born in 1985 so she was alive in 1986 I was wrong Carly Rae Jepsen
1: I apologize on behalf of my friend Jake Jones for being wrong in regards to anything that has to do with you.
0: She might share a birthday with Justin Bieber, but I do know that he's younger than me. She is way older than him. Um, even though he had a big part,
1: uh, in making her famous. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And she also, her first TV appearance was on Ellen. Oh, yeah. And she was also on the Canadian, um, Canadian Idol. Really? Not the Canadian American Idol, like I almost said, but just the (laughs) Canadian Idol. That's the only one there is up there. Um, and I'm just scrolling through 21 things I didn't know about Carly Ray Jepsen. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> Call Me Maybe was going to be a folk song. I'll leave you with that. Really? That's what it says. I can't even uh, imagine that as a folk song. Yeah, the producer Josh Ramsey stepped in and crafted the tune to uh, make it more of an energetic pop song that everyone knows and loves and hates today. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I'm trying to think of what else... I know about Carly Rae Jepsen. I know she had an EP that quickly disappeared from the internet as soon as like that big uh,
0: "Call Me Maybe" song came out. I don't think you know any of this. I, I did know this. All of this no, right no, now. no.
1: This is I remember sitting in a gym and finding that on some other website and couldn't find the actual songs online anywhere. Really? And then I ended up either pirating it or finding it somewhere online and uh, listening to
0: it. And it's not good. It's not great. So my Carly Rae Jepsen story is when when that single "Call Me Maybe" came out. Uh, I know that it was 2012 because I was cleaning parking lots that summer. I would start in Nashville and work my way up to Kentucky and then my way almost all the way down to Alabama and then back. It took me roughly 14 to 15 hours every night to clean parking lots in a pickup truck that had a big vacuum cleaner thing attached to the bottom of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and I would listen to the local pop station here in Nashville Uh, every night. And that song played a billion times every night. So every time I hear it, I think of nasty, dirty parking lots.
1: Oh, that's a shame. Well, let's not leave everybody with a nasty taste in their mouth about Carly Rae Jepsen. Instead, let's think of how her singing actually landed her a bartending job. She sang to the manager, the hiring manager at a a media club in Vancouver. um, And sang to him. Really? Hired her. And then plus she actually created an acoustic night at a local coffee shop up there that had that program still in place today. That is, that is really interesting. That is, that's, that's why it's an interesting fact about Carly Rae Jepsen, Jake
0: Jones. (laughs) Well, another interesting fact is that this episode, as well as all other episodes of turned up have been brought to you by the lovely patrons that support this podcast Every single week, every single month, and get some of the coolest, uh some of the coolest perks. Um like the coffee mug sitting right there. Like the coffee mug sitting right there. So uh huge shout out to our patrons. Um and I figured out who uh yit Yizit yit d- 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 is. No. Well, Um please share with the rest of the class. Well, I'm not gonna say it because I feel like they would have put their name instead of anonymous instead of that. But I do know who it is. So I know who you are. So I know who you are. Well, shout out to you anonymous friend. Well, I'll say for, I'll say a first name. It's Rob. Uh, and it's not you, Rob Thomas. (laughs) Please (laughs) tell me it's Rob Thomas. And so thank you, Rob Thomas uh, for supporting our podcast, uh, from month to month. Uh, that is our newest patron. Are we going to go through the whole list? I'm scrolling here. And we don't have to. There's a few good ones though. I'll uh, let you take them. MD Biakko. I'm going to, I'm going to shout out to that one. That's one of my favorites to shout out. Cause we always say Biacco and it's Biacco. It's Biacco. Wow. I,
1: it's a, I know him. Yes. We, we both know him. We have spent lots of time with him. And uh, yeah. Sorry. He's Sorry, just a good friend. Mr. Biaco. Thanks for still being our friend, even though we butcher your name.
0: Uh, and then last one. Uh, ooh, let's go Seesaw's. Okay. hi, C-Sals. What's up, C-Sals?
1: Uh I like that guy. Yeah. If you want to be a guy that we like or a girl that we like, I mean, we'll like you regardless. But if you want to be shouted out on the program, head over to turneduppodcast.com. Up in the right-hand corner, smash that button that says become a patron and uh, just follow the instructions. It's really easy. And uh, we'll send you some cool stuff and you can come hang out with us if you want to. You can seriously...
0: this uh, is yours. It's a subscription that gets you some cool perks, gets you on a super secret Facebook page, uh, as well as uh, some stickers. Depending on how much you give, you can get a mug, you can come chill out with us in the studio while we record an episode. You can record your own liner intro to a show as well as some other cool things, yeah. go check it out. You can see what all they are. But if you have ten bucks, which you know, twenty five cents a day, roughly I think, or maybe a little more, a little less. I'm not even, I don't. I don't math good. Regardless, <laughs> I have more pocket change at the end of the day than that. Um, can keep us going all the way up to ten billion dollars a month. And uh, will it take them up to ten billion a month? Uh, if you're interested in if in it, supporting it, yeah. Turned Up Podcast. If it's not going for through for some million. reason, just let us know. Yeah. Shoot us a message on the social medias or whatever. And we'll talk, we'll, we'll find a way to make that work. Uh, either way, thank you so much to our patrons. Of course, thank you to Real Sound, some really cool stuff. We keep saying that every week, but things are happening. Yes. Um, we had some meetings with real sound and some other fun people. That's right. Very recently.
1: And, uh, and, Oh, we need to promote our our next episode. Yeah. So that's, this has a lot to do with it. Are you segueing? And I just now caught on, I was working on it. (laughs) Let me grab your coattails as you segue away. So next week we are with
0: your BFF pod (laughs) cast. So if you look up your BFF pod on social media, you can check these gals out. Mel and Jen. Uh, really just a great show that they have and they are blowing up all over iTunes. New and noteworthy everywhere on the charts. They are killing it. And they're local here to Nashville to us. So we got to meet with them a couple weeks ago. It was, we had a great meeting. Uh, love those gals. They're hilarious. And I think you're really going to like the episode. So we're going to do a joint episode. So it's going to go out on Turned Up as well as your BFF pod. Right. We'll and, rebrand it so you'll hear our intro that you love but, and uh, or yeah. hate. Um, but uh, we do
1: need your help for that, and we've pushed it on the socials a couple times already, and they're doing it on theirs as well. But this episode is going to be a little different, uh, kind of for you to get to know Jake and I a little bit more on an intimate level. We're doing it's kind of like a a love line type thing. We're not going to get too graphic because we have a clean rating, but uh, we need your questions. We need something that you need either love or life or just general advice about. Um, that you'd like to be read on the air to Jake and I, because we'll be fielding all those questions asked by Jen and Mel. And uh, it's going to be fun. I think we're going to make a fun episode out of it. It will be a blast. And uh, you'll learn some things about us, I'm sure, that we don't want
0: you to know. (laughs) So if you have those questions... Any, I mean, it could be anything, even if you just want to hear us humiliate ourselves on air, uh, you can direct those to our social media, which is going to be Instagram and Twitter. Both of our handles are at turned up podcast. And of course, facebook.com slash at turned up.
1: <laughs> no, no at Just turned up podcast, Facebook, facebook.com slash turned up podcast.
0: Make sure you follow us on there as well. Uh, like, please hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this episode, if you loved it, if this is your first time to listen to the Turned Up Podcast, subscribe. We've got tons of episodes, tons of cool ideas coming down the pipe. Um, And go back and listen to some of our old stuff. We've got some really, really interesting fun facts. And we're always up to taking suggestions. So follow us on social media. Let us know things that you want to know. It could be about the music industry. It could be about sound. Both of us are huge nerds. We have to know a lot about the properties and even quantum quantum properties of sound uh, to even be able to do our jobs. It helps True. immensely to be able to, to be effective. Mix engineers know how sound waves and those types of things work. Things that Robert teaches me all the time because he's a friggin' genius. I am. I'm just a regular genius. And kidding. our most important shout out and most important thank you goes. Carly Ray Jepsen. Oh, I just want to oh say thank God. you no, so much. Robert, and I think hey, it's interesting no, that you have never stop.
1: actually given your phone number to any gentleman. And your hit song was "Call Me Maybe," uh, so I guess you knew that he wouldn't because you never gave him your number. Uh, Robert, that's, a, that's a fun uh, fact. It's a real fact. He never really hurts. did. You know what? That's that. okay.
0: That's no more. So I can't. Car- tweet me, Carly Ray, I listen. I'll call you later. I'm sorry. No, you, you don't have her number. She says she has never given her number to a dude. Well, she's given her number to. Which I wonder how anybody ever called her. She gave her number to my mom. Okay, my mom's not a dude, and then she gave it to me. Okay, uh, go ahead and disprove it. Ask my mom. Um, That's dark. Love you guys so much. (laughs) Our biggest thank you, of course, goes to you for listening to this. Thank you. And we can't wait to have a fun, exciting, and interesting and very different episode for you next week. But of course, until then, call me maybe. No, you can't. That's not what you're supposed to. And this is Nashville signing out.
1: There you go. Peace. Peace. I was trying to say it the same time Uh, as you. Gross. Peace. Peace.